Hello and welcome to this, the 24th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. And it is because of that support that we are able to bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised we'll never, ever charge for this podcast. But we are looking for you to put your money where your mouth is and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre while sharing these incredible stories with you. So what is the best way to support? Go and buy yourself some tickets. Buy that ticket for a show near you. Maybe travel a bit to see something fresh or something new take a risk roll the dice you might be surprised and look if tickets are slightly outside your reach this week or this month maybe go and check out one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie the indiegogos of the world see if there's a theater project over there worthy of your support donations often start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards in return for your support but of course there are ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast in person over a pint or a coffee or by sharing the link as a Facebook post or maybe retweeting the link on Twitter. The more you can share the word about us, the more we can share the word about Irish theatre and get it all out there and keep it all ticking over. Do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, but of course for the Android users out there they are streamable and available for direct download at riseproductions.ie Go back and listen to all the other episodes we have, both from this second series and indeed the first series from five or six years ago. Uh, There's an awful lot of quality stuff back there. Leave us a review on iTunes if you would Uh, it does a huge amount to help us and our chart position there or you can simply click to rate us on their five star rating system that's a one click deal it's five seconds out of your day as ever you can follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland and it's been a kind of an odd week here at rise towers after the madness of the last couple of weeks getting the show up and on the road because we had a week off of performances now obviously i've been ticking away with the admin stuff here and keeping the show on the road and working all the PR stuff and advertising all the great things that go along with keeping the tour up there but it's nice just to take a second to lift the foot off the gas for a moment catch my breath say hello to my wife and children for a bit remember I think if they still remember my name um, and so it's good but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the show back out on the road we have a very hectic week coming up next week which I'm sure you'll hear all about in our weekly roundup at the end of the show but it's nice just to take a momentary pause do a bit of the admin stuff in the background and then get ready to go at it again hard next week and so look that brings us to our guest this week and this is a really special one for me because it's none other than the incomparable Lisa Lamb now myself and Lisa go back the guts of 20 years it'll be I guess 19 years we know each other this October Um, and a woman who apart from being a global star and a wonderful human being has been a really good friend to me for nearly two decades we first met on that fateful first day back in october 99 when we walked in for the first day of what was then the bts course uh, at trinity and um, with that phenomenal group of actors that you know little did we know at that stage when we were all kind of 18 19 year old kids 
what would ultimately come, but uh, we shared three of the most magical and formative years of our lives together, and I'm just such a massive fan of hers. She's incredible. Her career has been phenomenal to behold, and thankfully I've been there to see most of the shows along the way. Uh, she has an incredible story. She is a proper artist with an artist's soul, and I love hearing her talk about the work. So let's hear her talk about the work. Here she is, the brilliant Lisa Lamb. <laughs> The wonderful Lisa Lam. Welcome to the podcast. How the hell are you? I'm delighted to be here, Angus. I'm uh, thrilled. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're talking in a normal voice. I'm Hi, not pal. talking in our in our <laughs> exclusive. But I love pro wrestling has like its own language called like Carney, which is um, only they understand and outsiders not get it. We kind of have our own language too from our great times together. We sure do. We have a Trinity Beckett Center so, language that <laughs> only 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 us like it's a half lucky few. It's, like, it's a half a dozen people get it. So for those half a dozen people. You're in for a treat. Um, Lise, as we do every month, let's... Every month? Every week? How long have I been doing this? Jesus Christ, I'm getting too... It's been a long old. day. It's been a long day. <laughs> Let us go back to the very beginning, because your career in the world of show business starts very early. It sure does, yep. Take us back to the very beginning. Where does it start? It starts age three, actually. Um, my mom took me to Billy Barry, and my sisters had been in Billy Barry, and so Billy saw me at the door and asked if I'd like to come and be part of the class um, and I was probably too young at the time um, officially um, but she, she took me under her wing and I began with Billy Barry age three and very shortly after that I was um, on the Gaiety stage um, in Madame Butterfly uh, with the Rathmines and Rathgar Society um, were doing this beautiful production and I played the lovely beautiful little love child. Of, in the story and I remember the opera being so beautiful and opulent but the, the singer she used to put her hands over my ears um, because I was so tiny um, to protect me from, from, from oh, her strength loud. of her voice yeah. really? and they bought me my first tap shoes so I guess um, the R&R Society are, are responsible for me um, I suppose putting on the tap shoes very early in life it's so fantastic um, so for a certain generation of people listening to this they will have seen Lisa Lam on what is arguably the most iconic stage of all, never mind the Abbey or the Gaiety, the Late Late Toy Show. Oh, yes. Now, how many times <laughs> were you on the Late Late Toy Show? I mean, for anyone, for most normal people, to have got there once would be the crowning glory and achievement of everything. But you've been, like, you've done, like, a load of them. I did four. Holy shitballs. Four Late Late show, Toy Shows. Um, as a kid, it was just, it was the most spectacular, exciting thing to be part of. And we would rehearse for months and months um, leading up to it. And I always remember, as a kid, um, just, just the sheer excitement of getting to RTE, being in the canteen, you know, seeing the set, um, working with Frank McNamara, yeah, um, of course. meeting Gabe Byrne, of course, and the costumes and everything involved. The first thing I did was age six, uh, I was Shirley Temple, um, so I had a solo. I'm so happy about that. It's, it was, it's, you know, what was great, Angus, is that um, about five or six years ago, the toy show itself was 30 years old, and they had a big celebration in RTE. Um, and they asked a lot of people to come back who were part of it as kids to speak about their time. And um, what was amazing from that experience was that I got this DVD of all the footage of myself. The, on the greatest hits? The greatest hits. I had them on cassettes, old you know, yeah, tapes, which had half of my brother's football matches on and half of Lisa on the toy I show. I love the idea. It's 50% Vinnie's, <laughs> 50% toy 50% GA, of course, and then Billy Barry, the rest of it. So um, they're on my, my on my laptop and... You know, I think a lot of people have actually seen them at the stage because they're they're hilariously brilliant and very funny. Does your family just excel at whatever they choose to do oh, in terms of like success in the football field, success on stage, success in business? Like you're a pretty special family, and there's loads of you as well. There's loads of us. I'm the youngest of ten, as Jesus. you well know, and um, 
yeah, my brothers and my dad are, are, are hugely GA orientated, big big fans of GA and very much immersed in it. Um, my nieces and nephews are all playing GA now, which is amazing. But what was great, I remember um, during 1916 and the and the the, the, the celebrations and the commemorations that were happening, I did this um, a wonderful thing with uh, T.G. Cahar in Croke Park, yes, which was called Lechre, and I came onto the pitch and I sang the Foggy Dew, and for me I that was <laughs> that was the meeting of the waters of yeah. the GA and their and the love for that Dublin had just won. I think it was it was an All Ireland final. And the crowd, uh, 85,000 people stayed behind and, and, and watched this. Fanta- it was an amazing spectacle. Um, and I was delighted to be part of it. And to sing not only the Foggy Dew, uh, you know, on, on Easter weekend um, 2016, but to, to do it with a lot of my family there was, was really special. So I think that those moments you kind of remember. And yes, you kind of bring both of the, the loves of our lives together yeah. in one day was, re- was really magic. So deadly. <laughs> so having had quite a notable success through the Billy Barry days right the way along how early were you then going okay this is not just something I do for fun as a kid I'm now going to put the head down and I want to go and train well it was really um it was a very clear path for me I think from from such a young age I I I loved the theatre I even loved the smell of the theatre I used to you know old theatres have a have a particular magic and a smell and I, I used to love that as a kid um, being in the wings or the scene dock and waiting to do your 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 scene, um, and and just watching all the magic kind of unfolding before your eyes, and I think that always stayed with me when I was growing up. And um, as a teenager in school, in secondary school, I met this wonderful woman called Muirna Heron, who was my drama teacher in Holy Faith, Clontarf, and um, she was just amazing, and she is amazing, and uh, she helped me um, when I was in sixth year to do my uh, interview on, on audition for, for Trinity College, which is where I met your wonderful self. Thanks. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, and did, in terms of kind of that prep for drama school, were you thinking of anything abroad? Were you thinking of the gaiety? Was it eyes set on Trinity, that's where you wanted to go? Well, I was, I loved school and I, I nerd. loved... Nerd. And I loved, uh, I loved studying and I loved... Nerd! <laughs> What's wrong with you? I know. Um, and I loved the idea of, of, of studying in Trinity and I was just really really heavily focused I think on the course that we did yeah. um, and I had a, I had a, did a portfolio for art college so I think there was part of me thought I might go to, to study art and NCAD okay. um, and I you know I did an interview and, and and I was accepted into courier there so there was there was always that duality of the things I loved but I, I knew from very early on the things I did love which was great yes. and I didn't have to I think search too hard to figure out the sort of path I would probably go on and obviously singing since I was a kid I knew that was never something I'd worry about but I knew it was always going to be part of my life yeah. somehow and um, and the course that we did of course was the greatest marriage of all the disciplines under one umbrella of this fantastically crazy fabulous wonderful time that we had together it was a pretty remarkable three years I mean I talk when I talk to so many people on this yeah. podcast through the time you talk about their experience through drama school and it's that thing you know you get people who've done like uh, people who've done like a one man show or people who've played Hamlet or whatever there's kind of there's a little kind of fraternity of going this is a really unique experience that most normal humans never have to go through, but we've kind of been in the trenches and we understand it. And so I really love talking to people about drama school and the whole experience because it's mental and crazy <laughs> and brilliant and wild and just mad. How did you enjoy your three years? Because like you talk about like enjoying studying and stuff. You worked your ass off for those three years. Yeah, you were diligent. I think we all, we all worked really hard. We were a great class. Um, we had a great sense of each other I think as well as 
individually and I think we all really respected um, our strengths and yeah. we encouraged we were very encouraging to each other which was amazing um, but I think that really came down to the teachers as well and the people we met along the way mm. um, you know we had Kevin Crawford we had the wonderful Andrea Ainsworth who is such a joy um, in my current work at the Abbey that I've just been doing to be working with her um, and to, to see myself evolving as somebody who met her when I was in kind of you know first day student um, yeah. in a big campus um to it's lovely that she she's kind of this this pillar of yeah. wonderful voice work um and somebody i really trust deeply in 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 that and um i loved the three years i found it was i think it will always be a, a really big part of of my life and as you know very well i mean we never stop learning as 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 artists as, as musicians as, as actors it's a muscle and you have to flex it and sometimes you know if I'm working only on a play I feel this really strong urge just to sing for a while and vice versa um but what's been great with um I mentioned that I you know I never really worried about music and the singing side yeah. of things but I feel I it's carried it's come with me in all that I've that I've done and it's influenced how I read text and text has influenced how I sing yeah and they they've had this um you know, they, for me, one isn't possible without the other. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think music was, was so, it was really encouraged even when, even though our course wasn't a musical theatre course, yeah. I think it really played to the strengths of those who wanted to kind of, um, I suppose, go down the rabbit hole of finding their voices and different voices. And yeah. um, saying that to you just as I came in, I was working with Carl Kennedy in the Abbey, um, making some beautiful landscape kind of soundscapes and um, it called to mind the work we would have done with Kevin Crawford yeah. from the Roy Hart School um, when we were in Trinity. So I think the work in Trinity will is the, the foundation for for everything else to be built upon and um, the friendships we made yeah. and there's a language in the movement how we how we learned how to move um, but what I loved about it most was that I guess it's a form of mindfulness as well I mean people talk about mindfulness a lot you know in our current society and I think acting is the greatest and music is the greatest form of that because once you step on stage it is your focus and it's a meditation in itself and I yeah. think um, I think it's kind of part of the fountain of youth I think we'll all stay like Peter Pan forevermore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or at least stay like Peter McAllister. Um, uh, uh, so tell me this, you maintain, even though we would have had quite a bit of singing training through that three years, you maintained your own voice lessons outside of that as well as a parallel track in terms of the singing. Um, so I want to talk to you a bit about, I guess those parallel tracks, because you talk about how the two speak to each other and how you bring elements of the voice work from singing into the acting and how you bring elements of performance into the singing. Um, talk to me about how, where that fits into your sense of creativity. Because as you said, another option, a potential option for you was art school and stuff mm. like in terms of visual art. So it seems that you have this fountain of creativity within you and you have various avenues to, to let it out. Yeah, I think um, when, when we were in college, um, I still have them. I, you know, I, I always carry notebooks with me and um, notebooks that are filled with images from the gallery or um, scribbles or doodles I've made. And a lot of them are also pictures just of me. All my notebooks are pictures of you in the <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We must get the archives out there for the podcast. The, the, the photos. I think of the Angus archives would be way too embarrassing. There's no the, way we're on going the steps there. of Trinity. Um, <laughs> You know, so a notebook has, it's, you know, we all carry notebooks, but um, from a very early stage, I think I didn't realize this at the time, but, you know, lyrics are, are something that I would have made 
initially not as lyrics but as just ideas that came into my head and and or you know little poems I guess abstract poems or very you know kitchen table kind of poems and then just just beautiful words always um trying to log stuff and I I, I always become obsessed with I suppose with that process of um you know I, I guess most recently I made a beautiful project in Kilrodery House down in Wicklow and I had um this beautiful library use of a library there and um, I was artist in residence and it was a really really inspiring place and a very inspiring time um the grounds are so beautiful but the library was actually the room that was used in in far and away the film oh, wow. it was a, there was a scene made there but it's a very very beautiful place and um it's an old it's from the 16th century the house and it has a very it's very old but it has it's it's kept so beautifully and it's um it's maintained and it, it's very welcoming and warm and the fires are lit and so i spent this really fantastic time there writing and writing and it again i just realized that that's kind of what i do i just seem to log things and it not in a in a, in a very you know analytical way but yeah. just um i find it's it's a it's a little it's a place for me to just to to, to open and to find and extract then what I've what I've collected along the way and um so so words and lyrics um have become a, a real a real big part of what I do um I think since being a solo singer as such yeah. you know, if that's an official term now I don't know but you know um making a first album and I suppose the last couple of years really being immersed heavily in music yeah. um the songwriting process for me has been a great learning curve and again it's something that you learn forever and you know I think the Trinity days are really standing to me because uh, I think a lot of our craft ha ha came from those days and 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 I think when you're in a place of, of, of discovery and learning again it's kind of where you go back to I think yeah. um, and you say right where did I it's kind of ground zero really I think yeah we've had actors on here who have turned to playwriting and it's been interesting to talk to them about the the dynamic between your work as performer and your work I, kind of, I guess the, the, the age old divide between creative artist and interpretive artist so for you specifically in the music when you're working on music that is you know more traditional stuff or, or that's been written by someone else how different does that feel to then when you tackle your own music mm. great question I guess. Um, <laughs> thank you very much well again it comes back to the story i think behind the words and where it's coming from and also the tone of the piece um you know i think with 1916 and the comm commemorations there was a lot of i spent a lot of time reviving or reawakening songs that I had known or heard of very briefly or would have yeah. heard an old scratchy recording of. Um, so to, to, to find them again and not necessarily seek initially to change it utterly. A terrible yeah. beauty is born. Okay. No, but you know, I think um, just to stay true to the lyrics always and, and serve it. But again, you know, I think the training we've had um, allows you to kind of go to the storytelling place quite easily. It's, an, it's a thing you can access. Um, and I guess I always just I, I envy other songwriters and songs that have been made because I think how can you how can we make any more songs everything has been all, said all the good things have been done yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think with my own material um, you learn a lot about yourself as well and what your default position is and, on, on writing and where it comes from and um, you know Kill Rodri was a, was a great example of that for me and about realising that um, I am a great romantic I think um, and I kind of knew that anyway but yeah. I think it comes out again in, in the words that I've been working with and 
yeah, the songs I'm making. So where does that fuel come from? I mean, for you, it, I mean, do you need to take kind of you know, a chunk of time like that away to yourself to go on? Or is it in stuff you pick up in every day? Like you say, going back to those notebooks, mm-hmm. what's, what kind of fuels the fire of creativity for you? Or what's the process like for you? The process is, um, yeah, it's a solitary one, I think. Um, initially, sometimes it can be, you know, it can just be an experience of, me- you know, meeting old friends or being in a beautiful place or... You know, sometimes we were talking about the, the smell of a theatre. It can yeah. take you back. So the, so the idea of memory, mm-hmm. um, a beautiful summer's day like today, you know, it's evocative and it can spark something. It can be as simple as, you know, having a beer and, you've got, you know, you just something comes out. Sometimes I write into my phone um, and I found that was really interesting because when you type something as opposed to handwrite it, it immediately makes it one step removed from who you are or your own handwriting so you can kind of look at it a little bit more objectively I think which has been actually helpful in the last while as well you're seeing it as oh that's not Lisa it's just typed words and how do they fit into this pattern I'm trying to make but I think it always comes from a place of 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 lyrics with me and sometimes you know you get an idea in your head and you hum it into your phone and then eventually gets made on the piano and then the words are kind of all jigsawed into it but um yeah it's it the process is different i don't think for me there's a set process um which is the same every time yeah so different songs come different you know they become different things and they kind of they kind of grow um you know i, I made it there was a beautiful song i made with with fake no brain on and martin brunson called hazelwood which was inspired by martin uh, telling us about this magical place that he lives lives in um in a he lives in a hazelwood um uh, in Leitrim and uh, when we were just talking about it and it was just the description of it was just so stunning Fakeness started playing this beautiful piece of music and that song was born and it's one of our favourites um, amazing yeah and then other times it's a solitary process of just writing and you're trying to I suppose dig deep and I sp- it's a good exercise you know it's kind of probably like people climb a mountain and have a good scream at the top you know I think the writing thing can be can be really good and it's become a real I never would call myself a writer but I think you know secretly it's something that I I need and I do yeah. very very much and part of my daily life it's kind of amazing and like you say look the, you know these two strands of your life have been so interwoven kind mm-hmm. of fit as they say in Guelga um, from day one like so from the moment essentially from the moment we left Trinity, you arrived with an explosion. And I think back to those early days of, you know, when, you know, things like Sweeney Todd happening, things like specifically improbable frequency and stuff happening, that the buzz around you at the time was really quite remarkable because it was like, holy shit, man, we've got proper <laughs> West End caliber, like the, the triple threat, like, you know, you can, because you sing as well as you sing, you move as well as you move, and you act as well as you act. And, and the kind of hadn't been a real tradition of that here before. And I think part of it was in, in the way the training had been formalised in the research. Because if you think, you know, Burroughs' year with um, Connor Delaney and all that mm-hmm. gang coming through and Luciana McAvoy and stuff, they were the first time that that Trinity course had been the degree. Mm-hmm. And we were only, what, three years after them. So it was still relatively early. And you came out and you exploded. Do you remember how that felt at the time to go, wow, people are really buying into this? Or there were, or there were kind of opportunities there for you to work and combine you know the music and the theater yeah it was it was it was a real case of you know the right time I think unknowns to anyone that was actually making it happen you know I think um when I made improbable frequency um you know that will always have a really special place in my heart but again it came from the idea of the training we had in trinity was was really 
you know, when I was making that, I was aware of using every bit of the craft I had nurtured for three years to the very, very best of my ability. Yeah. And to do, and so for me, a marriage of music and, and theatre is always, for me, the greatest gift as an actor, as a performer. Um, and it doesn't always have to be musical theatre, but a lot of the time it lends itself to that, um, you know, that format. And with Improbable Frequency, it was the perfect role. It was the ingenue. It was a singing role with amazing text yeah. and uh, an amazing theatre company. Um, beautiful actors. I mean, Arthur Reardon writing this incredible piece. Who's a genius. Like, Who's let's a call complete it what it is. Genius, a complete genius. Um, and having great experiences with Arthur, with Slattery Sago Saga, um, the, you know, the train. I mean, um, you establish these great relationships and uh, long may they continue. But uh, yeah, I think for me... Um, I didn't realize, I guess, that I had the, the the tools I have or had available to me, I suppose, when I did something like Improbable Frequency, I wasn't necessarily seeing them as superpowers as such, or, you know, they were literally for me, I think, and again, it is the training. We were all quite humble, yeah. I think, leaving college and we realized that we're blank canvases and what we can give to the work and serve it the best is what we're kind of trained to do. And I think when that was, when leaving Trinity and kind of almost immediately doing something like Improbable Frequency was an amazing test of that muscle of all the different strands coming together and I just delved right in and I had the best time ever. It was fantastic. Because that show went on and on. What what was it like to be... I mean, obviously it's always fun to be part of a hit but like it was kind of really like a seminal moment in Irish theatre of the last kind of 15, 20 years if you Mm -hmm. want. Like, did it feel special within it at the time or are you just swept up in the, in the moment of it? We were, we were, we were very, we were swept up with it because we were also in love with it as a piece. Yeah. It was in so charming, so clever, um, racy, you know, raunchy, uh, <laughs> um, you know, just, and musically just so clever and, and Bell Helicopter did an amazing job with yeah. the music and the score was, was tricky to learn because it was all puns, rhyme, meter, movement everything <laughs> and singing it beautifully at the same yeah. time um but very nostalgic and romantic as well so it was a a real charmer of a piece and uh we were all really swept up in it but not to the point of losing the run of ourselves within it i yeah. think you know the work was was there was such a high standard involved in delivering it that was it was a beast of a piece you know yeah. it was a proper I mean, even at the end of the show, the like the, the pillars turn into guns, you know, the yeah. GPO. So it was a on all fronts. It was um, a real stretch for everybody, and I think it brought out the greatest work in all of us for sure. What was the experience like on Sweeney? Oh, and, and, did, and did anything good come out of that show for you at all? I don't know. Anything, any happy memories? Nice one, Angus. <laughs> Sweeney Todd was fantastic. Um, very special. Again, you know, there's been so many lucky, lovely moments along the way. Um, Sweeney Todd was incredible. It was a, a long summer um, of, again, great work with Selena Cartmill. Uh, it was my second time in the gate. I had just, uh, sorry, it was my third time. I had done uh, Christmas Carol into playing Kitty in Anna Karenina and then Sweeney Todd arrived. And, you know, I remember meeting Cottle and singing through the music and uh, singing with some, some Anthonys that were, were auditioning for the role. And just being so excited by it, and also overwhelmingly overwhelmed by by Sondheim, I think, yeah, because it's it's never it's one of those fantastic challenges. And once you once you get it under into your into your bones, it's the greatest thing to sing. But learning it can be it's a tricky it's it's a curveball all along the way. Is Sondheim then? 
the Shakespeare of musical theatre then in that it's it's the it's really hard work but when you get it and you let it click it, yeah. it, if you forgive the phrase it really sings like it really jumps up it really does and it's it's again it's a, it's a real stretch for the for the performer as well like I played Joanna and I remember thinking even as a soprano I thought there's a lot of high notes in there yeah. I don't know if they're they're <laughs> if they're in this stratosphere but by the end of the summer um that was all I knew how to do was wow. was to sing up there and Oh, it was just such a learning. It was a brilliant, brilliant summer. Great cast. And of course, I met my, my hobby, Simon, uh, in the cast doing that. So yes, great things came great from it. Great things came from it. I love it. Um, talk to me then. I want to talk about the process of making that first album. Because you'd had significant success, particularly around the States, musically, in the run-up to that. Um, but as part of the band. So what is it then for you to kind of transfer that experience into flying solo? And to not have that kind of support structure around mm. you? I always wanted to make an album and I think I probably thought it would happen down the line at some point and it would probably be something very different to what I ended up making initially um, because I had been so immersed in theatre so I guess I had been, you know, it was always part of the the, the dream-like scape that I, you know, I'd want to make something. Um, but yes, I went on the road, I signed up with Celtic Woman initially for six months I had been working with David Downs in the Chakron in the Abbey um, and I remember Maraid Nesbitt who was in the in the cast of the Chakron saying that she was joining this wonderful new show and it was going to tour America and she was really excited about it and I remember following the journey of, of her you know her path along the way with Celtic Woman and myself and David many moons later met for coffee and he said look would you like to come on board um, we'd love to have you yeah. which was uh, a great honour because um, I guess coming from a real theatre background it was a different type of energy I suppose coming uh, that you know that was going to I suppose come with me and part of who I yeah. am into the show which was which was was really great and it meant um, I could bring some of the you know you know reciting some poetry or the storytelling side of uh, of bringing that into the music very much um, in, in what I recorded with them but yes, I, I, I did that for six months and fast forward three and a half years later, I still was there. And yeah. for, at initially, six months as an actor was like a dream come true. I, I, I was terrified as well. I thought, how can I do the same thing for six months? Yeah. Uh, usually you do, you know, four week rehearsal, four week performance. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, three and a half years later, I'm still traveling the States, coming home all the time, uh, which was obviously really important because I'm definitely a homebird. Yeah. And I have so many of us, I have to keep, in, you know, and I didn't have, you didn't have WhatsApp and all those things. We had a bit of Skype, you know, back then. But um, it was an amazing experience and um, a huge, hugely, I mean, I can't describe the, the level of um, just the quality of the work, like the, the, the crew. I mean, we had seven tour buses on the road um, four and that's a half not, months at a time that's not a small operation no and it's you know there's, there's containers and trucks uh, bringing the set overnight to the next city and so your schedule we used to say we were we were very rock and roll but with a very non-rock and roll lifestyle because we had to mind ourselves very much on yeah. the road but yeah very much the idea of you are you are part of this fantastic ensemble of, yeah. of wonderful people and um, it works as a unit really really well and it's a big collective so I mean I had, a, had an amazing time I mean performing in places like Radio City Red Rocks Colorado Nokia Live LA um, yearly you yeah. know twice a year possibly at sometimes and then you know traveling over to Japan South Africa um, 
kind of everywhere all over the place all over the world yeah um australia we 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 really it's an amazing way to see the world and so i was really aware of because i was so heavily immersed in in only focusing on music at the time um my own voice i suppose in in you know that side of it was very much in the back of my mind and kind of coming to the front of my mind a lot more yeah um and because I was singing an awful lot, I, I really was starting to put stuff in my phone, record things on the on the tour bus, um, just unfinished ideas. But yep. it, it, as as time went on, I could see that there was a, a collective kind of thing happening on my laptop that I realized was turning into a project. Um, yep. And at the end of my three and a half years, um, I, I was, you know, it was such a happy time. I had a great time with the show. But I knew I wanted to make this project and I had really fallen heavily in love with Nashville um, from the touring days with Celtic Woman. And I knew that the music I wanted to make was a kind of a folk country sound. And I said, I'm going to go back to Nashville and see um, if it's something I can do here. So I made some great friends, a lovely man called Fran Breen, a drummer. Um, He was the drummer in The Commitments. um, And he's played with everybody. Like he's, he's a genius and a lovely man from Ireland and he lives in Nashville. And he really, uh, we, be- we became great friends and himself and Rita, his wife, they took me under their wing and uh, really immersed me in the Nashville scene. And, um, you know, we went to see all these amazing studios. We picked this great one. Fran is mad about Barry's tea, brought over loads of Barry's tea for Fran. <laughs> and we made this uh, great project over Christmas time in Nashville. And uh, I'll never forget it. It was extraordinary. I'm like, what a place to go and do it. Like, if you're going to go and make an album, yeah. go and do it in Nashville. That's, yeah. You've got to do it. But now, speaking of making albums in iconic places like Nashville, have you uh, have you any plans to make any more albums in any <laughs> iconic places, Lisa Lamb? That's I wish question. you could see Angus's face right now. <laughs> um, yes, Angus, I'm, I'm delighted to share this with you. I have um, very recently just signed a, a record deal in Excellent. America, um, in Los Angeles. So I have uh, spent a little bit of time there over Christmas and I was back in January and I got off a plane completely jet lagged and went straight into the Abbey to start the Unmanageable Sisters, um, which was great, you know, switching headspaces immediately. Um, So it's really, there's exciting things on the horizon. So I think all those scribbles that have been in the notebooks and have been made into many things are, the journey is going to continue and I'm going to start my second album and recording it this, this winter. So incredible. Have you a feel in your head now of what the overall arc of that album is? Or do you think about albums in that way? In the way that, you know, if I was writing a play in the morning, I'd have a, a kind of a, a kind of a, a cohesive strand through mm-hmm. it. Do you feel the same way about albums? Or can it be a bit more of an eclectic mix? Sometimes? And is that, a, is that a through line in itself? Sure. I think, yeah, I think um, for me initially, I just write the songs or, you know, record demos and find the, the real truth in them. Yeah. And then depending on the musicians that you bring on board, and the producer that you work with, um, I think sometimes it, you can lean on them a little bit to make it cohesive and sure. make the arc seem like it's one piece. Because I have so many loves music. I'm, you know, I'm a music fanatic. So, you know, I, I love bluegrass. I love Americana music. I'm, yeah. I sing a lot of folk myself. I love traditional musics. And, you know, the great thing about the lives that we have is that you you meet so many amazing people along the way who enrich you greatly and I think with music it's something like your dad will will testify to this like it it, it's so good for your soul and um you know I could never be without it as Joni Mitchell always says you know she'll paint for a long time and then she has to make music and I I feel that the theater is so important I always get asked in interviews um which do you prefer yeah and 
it's impossible to say because really both of them are just so necessary in my life mm. and there's music in words even if you're not singing on stage and and that's what I love and I and I love getting to do plays that are just really straight like the unmanageable sisters I played a character that was a very real thing yeah. and um you know I got to access this, the north side in me that that's very much part so of my blood happy about that. <laughs> so happy about that I know north side forever Angus absolutely <laughs> um so you know What's important to me is to is to is to act, and that doesn't always mean with music, but when the music is there, um, you know I welcome it greatly as well. That's fantastic! I'm so excited about it. It's brilliant. Um, talk to me then about about how you see possibly juggling these things going on because you've been on a hell of a run in terms of work at the Abbey over the last while, um, and so now the idea of stepping into undertake a whole new album feels like you're going to have to throw yourself with both feet into the music end of things. Is it a case of that for that little time we'll go 100% into that or do you try and keep some kind of a balance between the two? How do you, how do you think it's going to work the next little while? The, the next little while is, is, a, is a, it's a busy run of it actually over the summer. Um, I'm back with Jimmy's Hall in the Abbey which I'm so excited about. It's yeah. one of the greatest ensembles um, I've been part of. Uh, beautiful people. Um, the choreography alone is just amazing. You feel so good on stage when you're getting to shake your booty like that um so bring your dancing shoes if you're coming along um you know and I'm really proud to be to be in the abbey I it feels like home and uh my first show out of trinity was was finders keepers in the peacock with Erin yes, Monaghan of course and um you know so it has a special place uh, for me and so I'm, I'm delighted to be back there but absolutely um in the parallel side of things you know the music uh is is evolving and has to and has to has to keep motoring along but I'm getting great inspiration um, I suppose when you're in, in a situation where you're, you're immersed in, in a lot of detailed work you know being part of an ensemble in a show that's on every night um, it just gives you great structure and, yeah. and actually that can be a great thing for you as well for the mind you have to really focus it and you might have limited time to access that side of your head because you know you are doing a lot of head switching you know you're in one thing and you're moving to the next but I kind of thrive on it and I kind of love it and um so you know there's there is restrictions in terms of I'm not going to be in the states obviously if I'm here with sure. this hall but um between now and then I am heading back over for a few weeks um I'm heading over to Austin Texas excellent um, spend some time there and do some songwriting and um I'm back in Edinburgh then with Theatre Lovett and then I'm going to be in Jimmy's Hall and then I'm going to do a beautiful gig which you have to come to which okay. is with Steve Wickham from the Waterboys oh yeah um, Martin Torish from Alton and the wonderful group called No Crows who are based in Sligo that's kind of during Jimmy's Hall on a Sunday um, if Excellent. you're around um, so this, uh, the idea of but w- the great thing about Jimmy's Hall as a show is that it's I'm singing on stage every night so that muscle is alive and well as, as the development of the album goes along it's so awesome um, what still excites you? Oh, everything I do I think yeah uh, music Music feeds me so much. Yeah. Um, all kinds of music. The theatre. The smell of the theatre still. Yeah. I love it. Um, I think we're in a very exciting time. Um, you know, in, in where we are in our own lives personally and, and in our careers. And I feel... I feel very lucky, but I also love the work and I love working hard. And I love meeting new people and all the collaborations that come with with different projects. So I think that side of it really really excites me when you can think outside the box and you know 
have a correspondence with Steve Wickham and the mm. No Crows about making something happen um, to me is a great a great gift and I think that our the work that we do excites me greatly that's fantastic Lisa I'm so glad to have you on the podcast that makes me so I happy I am so honoured hang out with you I know. apart from anything else Angus McAnally we, when are you going to be interviewed oh, have stop. you been no, been. <laughs> everyone's heard far too much from me that is quite alright um, Lisa you're a superstar I love you thank you so much I love you too Albert. all right so there you have it, the phenomenal Lisa Lam, my pal Lyambic. Just such great memories of so many great times together. We've uh, we've had the opportunity to work together a couple of times since graduating college as well, which has been lovely to get back and share a stage with her because she is such a special performer. Uh, it is no surprise to any of us that she has had the kind of global success that she has had. Um, she's a proper star, and I'm, I'm so glad for her that she has found a way to knit all these parallel strands together. It's so invigorating, actually, to hear her talk about it so passionately and and it's just it's a phenomenal thing to have had the level of success and influence that she has had over the years and you know if you think back on the last 15 years in Irish theatre you know her name is mentioned again and again in these kind of pivotal exciting moments uh, she's been involved in these great breakthrough shows and she's been a star in all of it I absolutely love her I'm delighted to have finally had her on the podcast and so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings-on around the country at the Abbey Theatre, our national theatre. They have on Raftery's Hill coming up and at the gate they have just opened with Assassins, starring the great Rory Corcoran, the brilliant Kate Gilmore, Rise Productions regular Rachel O'Byrne and all the gang up there. I'm hearing nothing but spectacular things about that. I am dying to get a chance to see it once the tour schedule allows. At the Gaiety Theatre they have the Abbey's production of The Plough and the Stars, which is a real really cracking production um, featuring the very brilliant Ian Lloyd Anderson my pal uh, as Jack absolutely owning it um, a wonderful wonderful production it's the kind of show that particularly when the Abbey have done it as much as they have in the last 10 or 15 years difficult to come back to it fresh for that big uh, 2016 production and they absolutely found the right way to go about it I'm delighted it's having the life it's had both across the water and now back here on the stage of the Gaiety well worth a roll of the dice if you get a chance to go and see that um, down the road at the board gosh is Matilda and I brought my 7 year old to see it last week and she adored it it's a cracking show I had seen it originally in the West End uh, and was brilliant to go and see it again such a wonderful show such a great production um, just a fantastic night out at the theatre as we head to theatre upstairs they have Electric by Ali Hardiman that's going to be certainly worth checking out at the new theatre they have Nora and that'll be followed by The Curse of the Button Accordion and then at Smock Alley they continue with Debris at the Dreict out in Blanche they have a little show called The Good Father by Rise Productions so maybe you should go and check that one out if you can at the Viking Theatre in Clontarf they have The Dumb Waiter and that'll be followed by a production uh, called The Good Father by Christian O'Reilly produced by Rise Productions maybe go and check it out when it's there um, at Bewley's Cafe Theatre back in their real home on Grafton Street they have Normal by Katrina Daly that is starring of course Port Marnock's Finest in Quiva O'Malley and the awesome Karen Ardiff if that's not enough to get you in the door I don't know what the hell is and then as we head south to the Everyman in Cork they have Here All Night and Not A Funny Word from the spectacularly awesome Tara Flynn that'll be followed by Michael Murphy with 
with The Man in the Woman's Shoes and also I Hear You and Rejoice. Uh, both those shows, if you haven't caught them yet, make it your business to go and get a ticket for those two. Um, but also uh, here all night, I'm hearing incredible things about and when is Tara Flynn not anything other than amazing. So lots of exceptional work going on in Cork over the next little while. Um, heading across to the Theatre Royal in Waterford, a little show that's called The Good Father from Rise Productions. Maybe pick yourself up some tickets for that one. As we head west to Galway at the Town Hall, they have 448 Psychosis and the Importance of Nothing. Then at the Lime Tree in Limerick, they have My Left Nut. They have Here All Night and also that production of 448 Psychosis. And then up north to the Lyric in Belfast, they have the Colleen Bond. They also have Tender Napalm. And that'll be followed by, yep, you guessed it, The Good Father from Rise Productions. I'm so excited to get back to the Lyric, one of my favourite theatres on the island. So much exceptional work going on up there over the last while. Um, we had the pleasure of bringing games people play there a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm delighted to be getting back what Jimmy Fay is doing up there is nothing short of spectacular so I'm really looking forward to getting back north of the border to Belfast and so that is us that is episode 24 in the books we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Ogue McAnally I'm Angus Ogue McAnally we'll see you next week <laughs>